Well, good morning. Welcome. Good to see all of you who uh, navigated through the Good Life Havesy uh, traffic and made it in the building. And welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Uh, before we jump into what I want to talk to you about this morning, that, that guy who did the announcement on Faith Promise didn't do a very good job. Um, I don't know who he is and where, it's cheap help, I guess, but uh, no, if you fill those cards out, you can drop those in the buckets when you leave, so we should have made that clear. I think we're about two-thirds of our way towards our goal of uh, $30,000, so we're getting there, got a little ways to go. If you haven't filled that out, please do that, and again, that'll help us do all kinds of uh, mission work from here in town all the way around the world, and so uh, what a great opportunity to partner in that. Well, uh, this morning, we're in part three of a series um, that we're, we're simply calling In, uh, I-N. And uh, what we have been doing is we've just kind of been focusing our attention on some biblical themes of how God sees us, who he's called us to be, and they all happen to begin with those letters I-N. And uh, we started a couple weeks ago. And we talked about how every single one of us, we have been invited into the family of God. Yeah, that's way better news than the way you guys responded. But no, it, we've been invited into the family of God, and there's nobody that's been excluded. And so the reality is that in the end, the only ones who will be excluded will be the ones who just simply refuse Jesus' invitation into the family. And so everybody has been invited. And then last week, we talked about how that we've all been not only invited, but all of us are invaluable, that every single person has value, that it doesn't matter what your past is, doesn't matter where you come from, what you've uh, done, you are invaluable because God created you uniquely, that there's nobody else like you, that uh, he created you with unique talents and abilities and passions and unique experiences. And the reality is, is that he placed you right here, right now, in this time, in this place, because this is where you can best glorify God. And the truth is that here at Connecting Point, we need you. That, that we talked about last week, that if you're not plugged into the mission and the ministry of Connecting Point, that it's kind of like uh, when there's a part of the body that isn't functioning correctly, that it impacts the entire body. And, and so we need you, and it's in this place that you can best glorify God. Um, this week, we're going to kind of focus on another biblical idea that also begins with those letters I-N, and that is this idea of influence. I'm curious, how many here this morning would consider yourself to be an influencer? If you, if you think you're an influencer, raise your hand. A few of you, okay, a few of you, that's all right. Um, my goal for this morning is pretty simple. And that is that I want to, first of all, reclaim what this idea of influence really means and what it means to be an influencer. And secondly, my hope is that by the time we leave here this morning, we end our time together, that each and every person who has listened to what I have to say this morning will see yourself as an influencer, that, that God has created you to be an influencer. In fact, I want to give you a statement right off the bat and you're going to hear me repeat this several times throughout the morning, 
But um, I, I really pray that this will sink into your heart and you'll embrace it and grab a hold of the reality of this truth. But, but here it is. And some of you might want to write this down. And uh, by the way, uh, I don't know if you saw these yet, but we got these really cool new little connecting point journals. And uh, I think we... We have like six bucks in them or something like that, and so that's what we're charging for them because that's what we paid for them. But these are great little uh, items to be able to take sermon notes if you're a note taker, or they'd be a great little prayer journal or something like that. So if you grabbed one already or if you just have a piece of paper, um, I want you to write this down. Um, here's the statement. You have no idea how one word of encouragement, one expression of love, one step of faith might change somebody's life. You have no idea how, how God could use just one word, one moment, one expression to lead someone towards the love and grace of Jesus. Earlier when I asked how many here see yourself as influencers, most in this room did not raise their hands. And, and one of the reasons that I believe that is, is because of the reality that our culture has kind of hijacked that term, what it means to be an influencer. Most of us, when we think of that, when we think of influence, we, we tend to think um, platform. We, we tend to think celebrity. We, 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 we think about somebody who has lots and lots of followers on social media, that those people are in our culture, those folks are the influencers. And that's what we tend to think when we think of that term. In fact, this past week, I, I Googled. Because if you ever want to know what's true about anything, all you have to do is Google it because, you know, everything Google says is true. But, but I Googled this term, what, what is an influencer? And there were a number of different articles that popped up, but the very first one gave this definition. As I began to look at the ones that followed, it seemed like every other one seemed to follow suit in some way or another. But this was pretty much the definition that each one of them gave as to this is what an influencer is. According to Google, an influencer is a person with the ability to influence potential buyers of a product or service by promoting or recommending the items on social media. That's the best we got. In our culture, this is the idea that this, this idea of influence, this is what it has kind of devolved to. That an influencer is somebody who helps determine what you spend your money on. What you buy. And, and, and the reason that they know what you ought to spend your money on is because they have a bunch of followers on social media. Now, I'm going to sound like an old man right now, but I remember when I was a kid that an influencer was often um, a teacher or a, a coach or a, a pastor or a Sunday school teacher. It was a neighbor or it was the parents of a good friend. And this is who we typically, when I was a kid, we considered to be influencers in our lives. Some of you remember those days. And it's unfortunate because 
culture, like it has with many other words, it has kind of hijacked the definition of this term, what it means to be an influencer, to the point that most people, when they think again of influencer, they tend to think of, you know, uh, somebody who has a massive platform, they're a content creator, someone who has a, a huge number of followers on social media, and this is what an influencer has become. And so again, what I want to do this morning is I just want to uh, just kind of at least attempt to be able to reclaim the word influencer. And my hope is that each and every one of you, again, will see yourselves as somebody who is an influencer. Because here's the deal. You have no idea how just one word of encouragement, how one conversation, one expression of love from you might change somebody's life. Believe it or not, Jesus actually addresses this idea of influence and the type of influence that he has created us to have. And uh, he, he talks about it in Matthew chapter 5. And he uses a couple of different word pictures to try and help us understand uh, how his followers have called to be influencers and what kind of influence we're called to have. I want you to look at what he says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 13. He says this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. What, what, what does salt do? Salt, um, it enhances flavor. Salt preserves, it purifies. Salt makes people thirsty. We'll come back to that and talk about it here in just a moment. But he says, you're the salt of the earth. But he says, if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. He goes on in verse 14, and, and he paints another picture for us. He says, you're the light of the world. Now, what does light do? Light illuminates. Light erases darkness. Light provides the ability for us to be able to see danger. When we're driving, our headlights expose the roadway. And so, in other words, it shows the path that we're supposed to travel. He, he goes on. He says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. He says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Verse 16, in the same way, this is what we are supposed to do. He says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In the context of our conversation this morning, you could say that salt and light are influencing factors with whatever they come in contact with. Whatever salt and light comes in contact with, it influences. And as followers of Jesus, we need to understand our role of being salt and light. We need to reclaim the true meaning of what it means to be an influencer. You see, what's fundamentally wrong with the definition that our culture has given to this idea of influence is that it is totally based on platform. The, the size of your platform de de determines the scope of your influence. The more exposure you have, the more followers you have, then the more influence you have. The problem with that is that platform alone does not equal good influence. In fact, true and lasting influence always begins with people rather than platform. It always starts with people. And the good news is, is that every single one of us that are here this morning, everybody who's joining us online, we all have people in our lives. 
That, that every single one of us, we have people within our sphere of influence, which when you come in contact with these people every day, whoever it is, that means you have influence. And so what that means is, guess what? You are called to be an influencer. This past week, I was thinking about this idea of, of influence and, and there were so many people that came to mind who played key roles or who influenced my coming to know Jesus, which eventually led to my coming here, to being a, a, getting into ministry and being a pastor. And, and I was thinking about that, and you know, obviously, the, the first people that came to mind were my parents. Uh, they were huge influencers in my life. Even before I could walk or talk, they were teaching me about Jesus. From the time I was born, in fact, I was literally born on a Saturday and in church on Sunday. So I was like a day old, and that whole thing began for me. But they had me in church, and they, they modeled what it looked like to live a life that honored Jesus. And they taught me how to pray. And, and more importantly, they battled in prayer for me. In fact, I was thinking about uh, there was this one season in my life where uh, I was in my late teens, early 20s, and, and I didn't really have a whole lot of interest in God. I had kind of drifted away from him, and my life pretty much consisted of I, I worked on a farm during the daytime, and then every night I spent at the bar until the bar closed. And I'll never forget, we were living in Kearney at the time, and there was this one uh, bar called Dickie Dugan's. And on Friday nights, they would have what they called drink and drown night. And so you paid 10 bucks to get in, and it was a penny a drink. Um, they're no longer in business, and that's probably why. But they were attached to, they were in the same building with one of the nicest steakhouses in town. And so one side of the building, you would walk in a main entrance and go this way, and you'd go into Cattleman's Steakhouse, and you would go this way, and it was Dickie Dugan's. And on Friday night, this one Friday night, uh, my parents... And I showed up in the same building. And I'll let you guys figure out who went where. <laughs> but they, they saw my car out in the parking lot. And they went in and they walked in the Cattleman's and looked around. And I was nowhere at any table eating steak. And so they put two and two together. And uh, the next day they, they called me and said, hey, Doug, we'd like to have you come out for dinner. And so um, I, I said, okay. And, and I went out, and, and during the course of our dinner together, they lovingly confronted me about the lifestyle that I was living. And I'll never forget, my mom made this statement, and it has stuck with me to this day. She said, she said, I am determined that I will not let the devil have you. <laughs> and she didn't. And they didn't. I mean, they, they prayed for me and they fasted for me and they bombarded heaven until one day God got a hold of my heart. And so you certainly could say that my mom and my dad were key influencers in my coming to know Jesus, which eventually led me here. So you can blame them. <laughs> then there was a guy who was a youth leader in our church when I was in high school and his name was Bud. I've shared the story about the impact that Bud Pabin had on my life a number of times. And so I'm not going to go into great detail other than to say that Bud intentionally invested in me. He spent a lot of time with me hunting and playing basketball. And, and he and his wife, Marianne, they, they, they prayed about me or prayed for me. And they taught me about Jesus. And they challenged me in the lifestyle that I was living. And, and so you could definitely say that Bud was a key influencer 
in my coming to know Jesus and eventually coming here. So you can blame Bud for that. Then there was my best friend's parents. My best friend from, from about fourth grade on was this guy by the name of Kent. And him and his family were farmers. They had this large family farm just south of Kearney. And, and uh, his, his parents were Harold and Anita, and they used to let me come out to the farm. I was a city kid my whole life, and so I, I loved to be out on the farm, and I, I, I learned to, to hunt out on the farm, and I, I learned to ride motorcycles, and we rode three-wheelers, and I learned to drive out on the farm. In fact, I was eight years old, and one day Harold took me, and he put me in the front seat of this pickup truck behind the steering wheel, and he said, this is the gear shift. That's the pedal that makes it go fast, and this is the pedal that makes it stop. And he says, so I'm going to take this tractor out. You put it in D and follow me, and don't put it in the ditch. And that's how I learned to drive. But I, I loved being out on the Smith farm, and, and, and Harold and Anita, they loved Jesus, and they loved me. And so they prayed for me. And they shared Jesus with me, and they invested in me, and we had lots and lots of spiritual conversations. And so you could say that Harold and Anita were key influencers when it came to me coming to know Jesus and eventually coming here, and so you can blame them. When I went away to college, I was just a freshman, and I was trying to find my place, and I'd fallen in with the wrong crowd, and I spent, again, most of my time partying, way more time partying than I did studying. And I met this guy. He was a senior, and his name was Ron. And Ron was this incredible guy. He was like a stud athlete. He was super funny. He was really popular. He was good-looking, and so all the girls were crazy over Ron, and everybody wanted to be Ron's friend. And for some reason, Ron took a liking to me, and he befriended me, and he took me under his wing, and I loved to play basketball, and Ron played for the college team, and so there were lots of times that he would invite me to come hang out with him and just play ball with the guys. When summer rolled around, I got a job, and I decided I was going to stay down in Kansas to work, and so Ron invited me to live in a duplex with him and a bunch of other guys. And as I watched closely the way that Ron lived his life, it was obvious that, above all, that Ron loved Jesus. And there was something so attractive about his life that it made me want to have what Ron had. And so I guess you could say that in a number of ways, Ron was a key influencer in me coming to know Jesus and eventually coming here. So add Ron to the list of people that you can blame for that. And I could go on and on and on and on about the, the many other people who probably to this day have no clue the influence that they had on my life. That the impact that they had that wound up influencing me into entering into a relationship with Jesus and eventually saying yes to pastoral ministry. You see, the, the point is that you have no idea how one word of encouragement one expression of love, one step of faith might change somebody's life. Now, there are a couple of important things I want you to remember when it comes to this idea of influence. And the first one is this, is that the influence you have, it won't always be obvious. Many of the folks I mentioned probably have no idea of the influence that they had on me. And so it's not always obvious. And secondly, your influence, it's not always instant. 
In fact, in my situation, it wasn't like that when my parents confronted me or, or when Bud confronted me or when Harold and Anita talked with me and when Ron befriended me, I didn't immediately surrender to my life to Jesus in that moment. What they did was these folks, they all planted seeds that eventually took root and led me to Jesus. And so you may not even get to see the influence that you have on other people because it may take years and years and years for the seeds that you've planted to eventually take root. But make no mistake about it. The influence that God has given to you when you are salt and light, it always matters. You have no idea how one, one word of encouragement, one one expression of love, one step of faith might change somebody's life. In John chapter 4, there's a really powerful story about this woman who, she winds up having great influence. And what's inter interesting about the story is that um, she's somebody who nobody ever dreamed or imagined that she would have any influence at all, at least any good influence. And just to, to give you a little bit of context before we jump into the story, uh, Jesus, he's been ministering all throughout the region of Judea. He's headed home to Galilee. And uh, he decides on the way home to travel through this area of Samaria, which may not be a big deal to us, but it was a really big deal to the people who happened to be traveling with Jesus at the time. Because in this culture, Jews hated Samaritans. And Samaritans hated Jews. They stayed as far away from each other as they possibly could. The, the Samaritans were these people who they were half Jew, half Gentile. And in the eyes of the Jews, Samaritans were like the, the worst of the worst, the least of the least. They were, they were considered to be less than human. They were like dogs. And so Jesus shocks everybody because they're traveling along and he's like, hey, I got an idea. Let's go through Samaria. Well, they, they come through this area, and they, they wind up coming to this well, and it's in the middle of the day, so it's hot, Jesus is tired, and so he goes and he sits down by this well to rest, and he tells his disciples, he goes, guys, just let me sit here for a little while, and why don't you all go in and see if you can buy some food, and then come back. Well, Jesus is sitting there, and this Samaritan woman, all of a sudden, she shows up to draw some water out of the well, and, and Jesus sees her. And he, he asks her for a drink, which completely throws her off guard. Because the only thing worse than a Samaritan is a Samaritan woman. And Jesus actually engages with this woman. Let, let's just pick up the story in verse 9. It says, the, the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And so she says to Jesus, she says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, he said, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you're speaking to, then you would ask me and I would give you living water. Jesus is kind of being salty here. So all of a sudden, this interaction takes place and it captures her interest. She's confused, but she's interested. She's like, she's, Jesus, you're talking about giving me water, and there's this living water, but you don't even have a bucket or a rope, so how in the world are you going to even draw this living water? 
And Jesus replies to her in verse 13. He points at the well and he says, anybody who drinks of this water, this this natural water that you're familiar with, when you drink from it, you're going to become thirsty again. He said, but those who drink of the water that I give will never thirst again. And, And all of a sudden, in her mind, she's like, there's something different about this guy. And so she responds to him. She says, please, tell me, give me this water so that I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here every day, day after day after day after day to get water. And in verse 16, Jesus says, okay, I'll give you some water, but first, go and get your husband. She's like, I don't have a husband And Jesus responds to her and says, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and the guy you're with now, you're not married to. You're just living with this guy now. I can imagine in my mind that her eyes get really big, and and she's like, you have spoken the truth. I mean, you read my mail, and so the only explanation is you must be a prophet. Now, now I've thought about this, and I thought, what in the world made her come to that conclusion? You must be a prophet. Well, certainly there was the fact that Jesus knew stuff about her. But the truth is, everybody knew stuff about her. I mean, this is a woman who had a reputation. This is a woman who everybody knew. I mean, when they saw her coming, this is the woman that people whispered about. This is the woman who people said, here she comes, stay away from her, and definitely keep your husbands away from her. And so people knew stuff about her. The thing that I think most impressed her and had the biggest impact is that Jesus knew all this stuff about her, and yet he treated her with kindness and love and grace and mercy. That There was no other Jewish man who would have even interacted with this woman. And yet Jesus approaches her with compassion and dignity and he honors her all the time knowing every single one of her sins. He knew her reputation. He knew that she was an outcast in the community. And yet Jesus knowing that, he doesn't look at her as an immoral woman. Instead, he simply sees her as a miracle about to happen. And because of that, Jesus, or she begins to to think, you know, I I wonder if this really could be. I mean, we've heard that there's going to come a day when the Messiah would come, and and I've heard all of these rumors and these stories about this man who is traveling around, and he's doing all of these incredible miracles. And, And nobody else wants to have anything to do with me. Nobody else will speak to me, let alone show me honor and respect. And and all of a sudden, in that moment, it hits her. I think he just might be the one that we've been waiting for. He might be the one that we've been praying for. And and so Jesus tells, or John tells us that she winds up leaving the water well, leaving all of her stuff there, and she runs back to the village, and she tells everybody, come and see this man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? I think he is. And I want you to notice what happened in verse 30. It says that when she did this, when she ran and said, come and see, come and see, come and see, it says the people came streaming from the village to see Jesus. This is such a powerful story. 
And there's so many things that this teaches us, but I want to just hone in on a couple that are pertinent to what we're talking about this morning. The first one is this, and some of you need to hear this, some of you need to write this down, some of you need to wrestle with it and grab hold of it in your own hearts. But the first one is this, is that no matter how bad a person's life is messed up, nobody is beyond the reach of the love of Jesus. Doesn't matter how bad your life is messed up. Nobody's too far gone. No, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how deep you've gotten yourself in, Jesus' love is powerful enough to reach in and save you. Come on, if there's ever been good news, that's it right there. This, this past Wednesday, I spent most of the morning with a young lady who was coming down from like five days straight of just pumping meth and whiskey and whatever else she could get her hands on into her system. And she walked into this building and she had absolutely no hope. In fact, she told me, she said that this, was, this is my last stop before I go and end my life. She wanted to, to end her life, but she said something told me to come in here and try this first. And when she walked in the doors of the church, she was absolutely convinced that there was no hope for her. And as we sat in my office, I got to, I got to share with her the true source of hope. How healing and freedom and deliverance can only be found in Jesus. And how you're never too messed up that Jesus can't reach you. You're never too far gone that he can't, his love can't save you. And I told her story after story after story about friends of mine who were in the exact same spot that she had found herself in and how God had rescued them and delivered them and totally transformed their lives. In fact, I wound up getting one of my friends on the phone who talked to her and shared with her this incredible miracle story told about how her husband had been rescued from a meth addiction been incarcerated and all kinds of, just suffered all kinds of consequences and how God had moved and swept in and the miracles that had happened in their lives. And I watched as she listened to those stories and she listened to my friend speak with her. I, I saw her face visibly soften. And she began to believe that maybe if there's hope for them, maybe there's hope for me. And she wound up letting me pray over her. And as I did, I just prayed. I prayed, Jesus, would you just show her the depth of the love that you have for her? Would you, would you just fill her with a hope that can only come from you? And we prayed for freedom and deliverance from addiction. After we prayed, she agreed to give detox and treatment a try. So Pastor Brad and I took her down to the detox center and we gave her a Bible, and I put a bookmark in the book of John, and I said, I want you to read this first. Just read about the love of God, and read about how much he loves you. And I gave her my card, my number, and I, I, I told her to call me because we'd love to walk with her on this journey. You see, I believe with all of my heart that God has an awesome plan for this woman's life, that she's not too far gone. If you think about it this week, pray for her. I'm not going to tell you her name. God already knows it. He created her. Pray for that woman that, that Pastor Doug had an interaction with. But I just believe it doesn't matter how far 
you've gone. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. It doesn't matter what you've done. No matter how much the enemy has convinced you that you're just too far gone, nobody is beyond the transforming reach of the love of Jesus Christ. The second thing this story teaches us is that the only criteria for being used by Jesus is you got to be willing to allow him to use you. Jesus will use anybody who will allow him to, to use them. This past week, I had another conversation with a, a young man who had, he's made all kinds of very bad choices in his life. And as a result, he has suffered some pretty severe consequences, and he spent a number of years in and out of prison. But he recently had recommitted his life to Jesus, and, and Jesus is transforming his heart. And, and I believe that Jesus has a call of ministry on him. In fact, he told me, he said this past week, he said, I had this weird dream. He said, I, I woke up and I had dreamed that I was a pastor of a church. And then immediately after he said that, he said, but that's crazy. I mean, because all the stuff I've done, like God would ever call somebody like me to be a pastor. And I interrupted him immediately. And I said, first of all, unless you know for sure that God is calling you to be a pastor, don't do it. Because it's too hard. There are a lot of other things that are easier, and there's a lot of other things that will pay way better. And so unless you know for sure that God is calling you, don't do it. Thank you, Brett. You see me, and you love me. You have no idea how one expression of love. <laughs> but I said, unless God's calling you, don't do it. But if he is calling you, then what you need to understand is that he will take and he will use Every single thing that you are convinced has disqualified you for ministry. I said, in fact, I, I, I could see you as an incredible pastor because I'm convinced that God could use you and what you've gone through to reach people that other pastors could never reach. Don't, don't ever fall into the lie that God can't use me because of my past. That's a lie. This messed up, broken woman whose life everybody knew was a mess, once she encounters the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus, she's the one that Jesus chooses. Can, can I just tell you, Jesus knows what he's doing. He could have picked anybody else. He could have come earlier in the day when all of the you know, upstanding women had come to draw water from the well. And he could have picked one of them. He chose this time and this place because he knew that's where this woman was going to be. And he chose her. So this woman, she, she goes back to her town. And she tells everybody. In verse 39, she, it says that many Samaritans from their village believed in Jesus why? Because the woman had said, he told me everything I'd ever did. When they came out to see him, it says, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two long days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. I don't want you to miss this. Don't miss who God chose to use to transform an entire community. He, he didn't choose a celebrity. 
He didn't choose a, a well-known professional athlete. He didn't choose a content creator with lots and lots and lots of followers. Instead, he chose an ordinary, broken, sinful woman who had personally experienced the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Please feel this, church. If you know the love of Jesus, if you've experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, then you are intended to be an influencer. You have no idea how one word of encouragement, one expression of love, one step of faith might change somebody's life. So when someone new comes into the church and you smile at them and you greet them and you just help somebody who's uncomfortable and nervous feel like that they're valuable, like they belong here, like they're accepted, you're an influencer. And when you take the time to listen to somebody who pours their heart out to you and they talk about the brokenness that's in your life and you represent Jesus' love not by judging them but by simply accepting them where they're at, then you are an influencer. When you repost a, a sermon clip or a scripture verse on social media, you're an influencer. When, when God puts someone on your heart and you pray for them and then you follow that up with a text that just said, hey, I want you to know that I was thinking about you today and I was praying for you today, you are an influencer. When you invite somebody to come with you to church, we ought to do that once in a while. This woman said, come and see. I mean, we make it so hard to try and lead people to Jesus. I think we ought to have a come and see ministry. Just come and see what I've experienced. Come with me sometime. I'll buy you lunch afterwards. May cost you a couple bucks. Be a great investment in the kingdom. But when you do something like that, you are an influencer. When you do something as simple as put a connecting point logo sticker on your car, I got the coolest text this last week. It was from my niece who lives in Dallas, Texas. And she said, I was in the airport and I saw this woman across the, the terminal there who had a connecting point water bottle. And so I had to go up and say hi to her. Wound up being Esther. I got a picture of Esther and Sarah sent to me. Only Esther, man. I'm telling you, when you do stuff like that, see, the reason we do that stuff, the shirts and the, the, all the stuff, it's to begin, it's to spur conversation. And so when you, when you do that, all of a sudden, you are an influencer. The, the bottom line is this. If you know Jesus, then you have been chosen. You have been selected. You have been picked to be salt and light. And let, let your salt do what it's intended to do. Make people thirsty for living water. Let, let your light, let the light of, of Jesus' love shine through you because God has created you. He has commissioned you to influence others by pointing them towards the love of Jesus. Every person in this room, please don't miss this. Every person who's joining us online, you are an influencer. You're an influencer.
And my prayer this morning as we stand together and every head bowed and every eye closed, my prayer this morning is, Jesus, for those of us who are in this room and we know you, we have given our lives to you. We've invited you to be the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives. You've already, you've already made us to be salt and light. I pray that you'd help us to live that out. Empower us in whatever way, in the interactions that we have, the sphere of influence that you've given to us. Some of, some of us, you have given a large sphere of influence where there's a lot of people who are around us. Some of us, it may just be one person, but we, we talk about the one matters to you. You'll leave the 99 to pursue the one. And so let us be salt. Let us make people thirsty. Let, let us be the aroma of Christ that when people come around us, that there's just something like Ron. I just, there was just something about him. It was like, I want to be like Ron. What I didn't know is what I was really longing for in my heart was I want to be like Jesus. Let us live our lives like that. Let, let us be light. Forgive us for the times that so often that we thought that the only way we can be light is just by pointing out everybody else's sin. You're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you did this, you did that. No, help us to be light that points to you. That there's love and forgiveness, there's grace, there's mercy, there's kindness, there's love, there's healing, there's deliverance, there's hope. Let us illuminate the hope that we can find in you. This morning, there may be some in this room, maybe some who are joining us on, in, online who need to experience that in their own lives. There may be some who have bought into the lie, I've gone too far, I've done too much, that there's no way that God could love somebody like me. This morning, we just want to call that what it is. It's a lie straight from the pit of hell. That there is no sin, there is no wrongdoing, there is no life that you can't touch and heal and forgive. And so maybe this morning there's somebody who just maybe in the, the quietness of their own heart would say, if that's true, then that's what I want. I want the hope of Jesus. And if that's you this morning, then I just invite you in the quietness of your heart to just say, Jesus... I give myself to you. Sin and all. Good stuff, bad stuff, and everything in between. I give it all to you, and I ask for you to forgive me, and I ask for you to change me, to live in me, and to work through me. I want you, Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And I just tell you this morning that if you prayed that prayer, Scripture tells us that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins whenever we ask for it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to, to forgive us of them. And so if you prayed that prayer, the Bible says that you've been born again, that all the old stuff has passed away, and behold, everything is new. You've got a whole new life ahead of you, and one that you don't have to live alone, that you can live under the leadership of Jesus Christ, which he knows way more than we know. And so I invite you to do that. And if you prayed that prayer, you can, again, you can scan one of the QR codes and that'll take you to a link that, that takes you to our central hub and there's a place under there that says next steps. And we'd love to know that you made that decision this morning because we'd love to come and celebrate that with you and walk beside you. 
And as you leave this morning out at the You Belong Here table, you can stop and if you don't have a Bible, grab a Bible, grab a little devotional that we'd love to just give you as our gift. If Again, this is your first time with us. See Pastor Brad out there and he's got another gift for you. And uh, if you want to pick up one of the little journals, do that. And I encourage you, that statement, what a great first thing to write in your book. You have no idea how one expression One word, one step can change somebody's life. How about we just go and do that and live that way? Let's go and live in the love and the light of Jesus. Be salt and light. In Jesus' name, you are dismissed.